Good afternoon, everybody. Um, uh, thank you very much for staying. I know that was such an enjoyable last session, so I'm very pleased we've got a reasonable full house still. Um, this session is all about showcasing cross-border payments, uh, the project group within the Payment Association. Um, my name is Kevin McAdam. I'm uh, currently Director of Cards for Andaria Financial Services. But I've been in the um, financial services payment industry for probably the last 20 plus years uh, doing various different roles and uh, working on cross-border payments. I'm really delighted today to have joining me a um, gentleman by the name of Leon Isaacs. I'll get Leon to introduce himself for a moment. Uh, Leon and I first worked together 20 years ago. Uh, so cross-border payments has changed an awful lot in that time, but it's really great to um, be with him again today. So, Leon, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, thanks, Kevin, and uh, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, as Kevin said, my name's Leon Isaacs. Uh, as you can tell from my grey hairs, hopefully I've got plenty of experience, about 40 years in um, foreign exchange and consumer financial services. Um, and I now run a, a, a consultancy which I've run for the last 17 years uh, called DMA Global and we specialise in cross-border payments, particularly but not exclusively migrant remittances, um, diaspora investment, diaspora engagement and a whole series of other items in some very weird places um, around sending and receiving money. So delighted to be here and back to you, Kevin. Thank you very much. Thank you. So look, um, what I want to do first of all, just uh, at least share with you about the cross-border payments uh, project, just a bit a little bit about how it was formed, why it was formed. Uh, and then we're going to talk about a couple of what we consider as key opportunities in, uh, uh, for 2023. So cross-border payments project um, was one of the initiatives across uh, the Payment Association. Um, it was basically formed really um, to sort of recognize the G20 roadmap. So the G20 roadmap uh, was an initiative that was setting out building blocks for really trying to revolutionise the way that um, cross-border payments was, was, was operating. And the way we did this is that we set up a project uh, specification, we created a set of uh, objectives, both um, policy objectives and corporate, uh, sorry, and company objectives. Um, and then what we also did is we very much pulled together um, you know, what was the key things that um, were sort of like the challenges for members. So we did some research on what uh, members of the Payment Association felt about cross-border payments. And we also used that opportunity to sort of then align our objectives to the G20. Um, what, we, what we did then is the project team issued, uh, we did two particular pieces of research. So the first piece of research was the members' research. Okay, on what they saw as the challenges and obstacles for them on cross-border payments. And then we also did uh, an opinion paper for the end of the year. Um, now, what was really interesting from that situation is that, first of all, in terms of the members, um, what they saw as challenges and then what we saw as an opinion paper, there's obviously lots of alignment there. So I think one of the things that, first of all, from a member's point of view, was the frustration about trying to actually enter new markets. 
you know, often with um, restrictions imposed by the jurisdictions or, you know, by the, by the current incumbents. And then in terms of from an opinion paper, um, the key things that were coming out really from, from that was that the PSP market was shrinking and therefore, you know, it was, it, the costs were high. Uh, there was lots of challenges around um, harmonisation of regulation. Uh, there was still a need for, um, you know, industry regulation and um, particular uh, types of data controls to be in place. So, what we sort of really formed from that is that, you know, there's still a lot of work for the G20 to do and still a lot of areas that we, we really need to tackle. Now, what we want to talk to you about really today was a couple of areas that um, we see as key for 2023. One is around corridors, you know, and the challenges with corridors, particularly with the de-risking, um, uh, which, have, which have basically limited some of the corridors. And the other thing is, is some of the new developments that are happening, which I think hopefully will start to open up the market. So if I start first of all with corridors, um, Leon, just your opinion about some of the challenges we've got with corridors at the moment, um, particularly, you know, uh, about enabling uh, those corridors to be open for, for, oppo for opportunities. Yeah, I mean, I think um, maybe the first thing to say, and it's obvious to everyone, and I think uh, the very first session today that Dave Birch ran, actually there was a big distinction between sending money domestically and sending money cross borders. And I think by definition, if you're sending money cross-border, you're already involving two different jurisdictions, two different cultural environments, everything. So whatever you have to do to make it successful in one corridor, yes. you probably have to at least double it, if not increase it more, with each new corridor you look at. So, you know, for me, the regulatory environment is a key ingredient. And if you... One of the challenges I think we see is that once you get away from, say, what the EU has achieved or did achieve with some of its regulatory harmonisation, which was still subject to local differentiation, yeah. once you get outside of that environment, most countries have a different approach to regulation. And it could be quite subtle, but that subtlety could make a massive difference to your model. And each time you need to look at a new country, you're going to... Oh, all right. Each time um, you look at a new country, you're going to have to incur cost. Mm. Legal fees are not cheap, I think, as we all know. I don't know if there's any lawyers in the room, but they're probably having a nice lunch somewhere <laughs> else. But, you know, you've got the legal costs. You need to understand the different operating environments languages, everything, then you need to seek partners probably in those countries. And all of this is much harder than just what you need to do in your own single country. If you then overlay that and let's say, oh yeah, we've got a great business opportunity and a great partner in Singapore, and then your customer is really quiet, uh, really happy with that, and you get a good service guy, and then they say, oh, we'd love if you could send to the Philippines or Japan or somewhere else. You've then got to go through that whole process again. And the more you go through it, you would think there's economies of scale. Yeah. But often there isn't. No. So I think it's a, quite a different mindset, really. So not only do you have 
everything you think about with running your business here, you know, customer acceptance, customer service, throw on the regulatory hurdles and then multiply X times. That's the sort of challenges we have. And I think the other challenge I see often, and it's not just corridors, it's this, you mentioned the G20 agenda. I think most people in this room want to work at this sort of speed. Yeah. The G20 agenda works at this sort of speed. Yeah. And when you start looking at um, different countries, they're all going at different speeds from a regulatory viewpoint. Yeah. Some are pulling you along, yeah. some are putting so many roadblocks in, but you need to understand that and find an approach for yes. that. So, you know, lots of challenges mm. and some solutions, but. I always worry that the solutions, if it's reliant on governments, is going to take a lot longer than you can introduce a solution yourself. No, I mean, and, and you're correct. I mean, the, the G20, um, you know, the building blocks are there to sort of really try to drive the change in cross-border payments, you know, um, and there are some aspects of that that they are appear to be moving forward you know, in, certainly in interlinking inter systems, maybe access to systems, but you know, the harmonisation of regulation is probably the most common thing that we get um, uh, told about. Certainly, whenever we've done webinars as the group, or we've done uh, focus sessions with other parts of the payment association. So we've worked very closely with the EPA in Asia, and um, that's part of the Global Payments Forum, and they've been also. Um, frustrated by the fact that we haven't got harmonisation, which is playing a big part of it. Maybe, I suppose, Liam, one of the things that might actually open this up is, is some of the things that are happening now between India and Singapore. So uh, the Monetary Authority in Singapore and the Reserve Bank in India are actually launching, uh, well, actually have launched um, an initiative that's actually happen, uh, happening at currently, um, you know, which, which sort of like just breaks some of the barriers down. What, what, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, so, I mean, I think this is hopefully a way forward. In effect, it's uh, the first statement I said was operating internationally is a lot harder than domestically. Um, so the MAS in Singapore have basically linked their payment system with the um, UPI in India, as many of you know, I see some nodding heads, mm. to enable payments to be made in real time yes. and at very low cost between India and Singapore. So effectively they've turned a, what is a cross-border payment into really a domestic, using yes. a domestic payment rails. And if you think about it, you know, it sounds easy to say, but to make it happen is very difficult. And what's interesting, it only launched a month ago. Um, I don't know the data there, but already you've seen three or four public statements from like Qatar and others saying they're looking at doing exactly yeah. the same in linking with in India. And I think linking payment systems um, is one of the best ways to achieve a much more efficient and low cost payment environment. I think um, if you look at it now, the East African community is also looking at how they can link some of their payment yeah. systems. And we've got more and more discussions in that. 
I think part of what we need to look at is how to involve all parties. Unfortunately, often these discussions only involve banks, Yes. Um, particularly in the early stages. And actually what we need is all payment service providers, mm. particularly those customer-facing, particularly those where, say, financial inclusion mm. is a problem in those countries. We need those who get to the customer's yeah. best to be able to be part of the discussion rather than an afterthought. But I really think it's a very promising way forward no. if we can have easy access for everyone to the main payment systems. Uh, and, uh, and what's encouraging about the initiative that they're doing is that, um, uh, I mean, mass is generally very progressive, uh, you know, so I, I think that they'll be well behind it. And DBS is one of the banks that are participating in it as is Liquid um, Bank, which I believe is a non-financial institution. So I, I do think they've actually brought somebody into the, into the phasing that actually would, would be a good benchmark to work on. And um, I was very fortunate to go to India um, uh, several years ago to sort of look from a trade mission point of view and see what UPI, uh, which, is the, which is the platform that they're working on. Um, you know, so they've got Axis Bank, they've got the Reserve Bank of India, they've got very various people that are um, involved in the process and I I think this is I think we think this is quite groundbreaking you know it will be it will break down some of the barriers that are there at the moment and also potentially help them maybe with fraud because they'll they'll you know what we what you're doing with um, using sort of like um, multilateral sys platforms you know you then all of a sudden you're taking the jurisdictions out of the equation you're also then um, seeing more transactions so you're identifying fraud easier uh, and and also I think you know just generally it, it it means it it makes it more seamless you know and that's that's really quite crucial yeah I think the other thing is this doesn't come about overnight no. uh, as we heard I think the discussion earlier on today about the 20 uh, 22 uh, standards and everything. I remember that back in 2007 and so on. So it's like some, they don't happen. But I think what is really key is that it shows that there's really good will around cooperation between the governments and they want to work together. So exactly what you said about fraud, it really brings a lot of other areas that maybe impact the business environment together. Um, and it means that countries are actually starting of thinking of working together rather than putting up barriers, which yes. in a lot of cases is the way forward. So it won't happen everywhere overnight. But, you know, in, even in Africa, where I spend a yeah. lot of time, you've got the Pan-African Payment um, Service System that is, has been set up in principle, which theoretically should unite all the payment systems in Africa in the future. Mm. Um, that will be a phenomenal yeah. uh, success and address a lot of problems. So there are encouraging signs and I think the other thing is countries are much better at sharing best practice and experience yeah. and that's how they can really begin to learn. Yeah. And one of the things, as I said before, we need to do is to bring in the voice of the private sector yeah. and particularly the non-bank private sector payment companies very effectively. So I think there's a good role for a payments association or equivalents in lots of countries yes, to yeah. do that. But, you know, that's what we need to do, not be having to take the rules of the payment system and try and force fit them, as we see of, in many countries even yeah. now. Where, where would you think that we could, I mean, because, you know, you mentioned Africa there. I mean, 
I don't know how easy it would be to be, but when you look at India and Singapore, you know, then I'm thinking, I don't know, the US and Mexico, you're looking at Africa, and that might be the answers, maybe to take pocket-sized areas and actually try and drive some of the change. Well, I think so, but the thing you have to remember is you have to have enough volume through each of the corridors to make it commercially sensible and viable for businesses to actually want to get involved. So... You know, there has to be a business case at the end of the day. And I think, actually, I would build out from this Asia experience personally because you look at some of the sizes, Indonesia, Philippines, Japan, Korea. They're big markets with big payment volumes, good amounts of technological improvement, customers who are much more technologically savvy. I think you need a completely different approach in an Africa and probably somewhere in the middle in like Latin America. Yes, yeah. Um, so, but I do think that you need to look for the low-hanging fruit and really try and demonstrate that this is possible to do this. And then you can move forward, I think. Okay. Um, it wouldn't go without saying that we probably should mention the B word somewhere in terms of Brexit. And I thought that just as a final thought, let's just talk a little bit about Brexit and how that's impacted the European Union. And I just thought you might want to share some of your experiences from that. Okay, well, I mean, I suppose it's appropriate as the, one of the yeah. architects of Brexit is on, on TV at the moment, I yes. assume, hopefully getting a good grilling. <laughs> but um, I think, um, you know, Brexit actually, I suppose, after the vote, there was a lot of, a lot of talk and it's only now we're seeing some of the consequences and I think in the EU one of the things we've really seen you know is obviously we used to have the passporting regime from the UK into Europe now that's not allowed anymore and within the European regulatory environment it is now very 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 difficult to obtain a license in pretty much any country and I know Nina's here regulatory expert from the EU, every time you think you're making progress, it, something gets blocked. And now we would estimate it's probably two years right. to get a license in most countries. And so what we're seeing, interestingly, is businesses that want to enter the EU payments market, either they have to find a, a payment provider and work with them as a partner, which is happening a lot and in many senses makes a lot, makes a lot of sense. But if you want to have your own license, we're seeing much more interest in acquiring licenses, buying companies that have a license and converting that to your business as being a quicker route to market than making your own application, um, which is a bit of a sad state of affairs. So you mentioned de-risking. De-risking is not only happening from banks to uh, non-bank service providers, but it's also almost happening from regulators to the entities that they are supposed to regulate, yes. the e-money and payment service providers, many regulators just don't want to have, have yeah. it there. And I think that's one of the big consequences we're seeing for the payment service providers right yeah. now. Thank you. So, sort of to summarise, I suppose, what, are, what I've learned from the last uh, year that I've been running the project and working with... Uh, members you know from all parts of the industry whether they offering b2c or or, or uh, b2b services or in the retail or in the wholesale um the things that are coming across for us really i suppose is the it, we're in a rev- revolutionary stage i think for cross-border payments i think we need to really see some real changes um 
harmonisation and collaboration across jurisdictions is really essential. It's, it's so important now. And the industry screaming out for it. And I think this is the things that we're going to have to push the G20 to do. Um, Multi-layer process and procedures, they need to start showing efficiencies. Um, and then I think continue to drive innovation. You know, I think new innovation is, is the key for all of that. So probably what I want to leave you with is that the cross-border payments project is open to everybody in the Payment Association. We have a really good turnout. Um, you know, we're there to try and influence, uh, you know, whether that's uh, domestically or globally. Um, and, you know, we're also, it, it's a good sounding board for everybody to say, how do they start to go into the market? So I want to thank you for your interest. Thank you for time to listening. Um, I think we've got times for questions. What, one minute? One question. <laughs> one question, right. Is there any questions or, you know, if anybody doesn't want to ask questions now, you know, we will be available. Come and have a chat with us straight after. No? They all want coffee. They all, yes, they all want coffee, yes. Okay, well, look, thank you very much. Thank you very much for uh, having interest in this subject. Thank you for taking the time out. And if there's anything you want to ask us, then feel free to do that. Thank you very much. To access more podcasts, videos, and articles, go to thepaymentsassociation.org.